Yeah, and I mean, I kind of phrase it, we're all part of the human race. We're all here and moving through life. We can't do it alone. And sport or doing hard things is such a great training ground for training resilience and training problem solving and training relationship building because we're all going to have hard challenges off the bike. And so being able to kind of have a practice ground that is a chosen hard thing or a chosen challenge allows you to develop the skills to deal with losing a loved one, to deal with, you know, your house burning down, to deal with a pandemic together, to deal with losing a job. You know, we can go into nature and, and choose hard things to practice that skill set. From KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I am your host, Trevor, and on this episode, one of the most inspiring people in our sport, Rebecca Rush. I am beyond excited to be able to share this conversation with you all from her vast athletic success in multiple adventure disciplines, her Emmy-winning film, Blood Road, her gravel stage race, Rebecca's Private Idaho, and of course, her Be Good Foundation, Rebecca has and continues to be an important voice in cycling and beyond. Uh, We talk about that. We talk about a lot of things in this episode, but uh, to me, what really came through Um, in our conversation most was or is Rebecca's philosophy on life and how adventure and sport can better yourself, but more importantly, others. And she articulates that in such a beautiful way. I hope you, like myself, come away with this from this conversation feeling incredibly motivated. And I just I want to get right to it. So here we go. Rebecca Rush. Listen, uh, I just want to say it's it's a huge honor to uh, to talk to you and 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 I really appreciate um, you taking the time to to do this. Um, I don't know. Are you cool just jumping in? Do you have any questions before we we get to it? No, let's just hit it. Okay, yeah, let's well, go for it. So I know that uh, I know you predominantly as. A mountain biker as a cyclist, and I think that's where I got to know your name. Of um, of course, uh, Blood Road was a huge reason that uh, I know of you. But mountain biking just kind of scratches the surface of of who you are and what you do. Um, your accomplishments are vast, and that's not just in sport realm, but in the in all realms. Um, uh, you're an author. Thanks. An Emmy winner? I mean, I, I've never talked to an Emmy winner before, but uh, I'm, I, I'm getting to a question here, I promise. Um, this might be too s- simplistic, but as we begin, I would like to know, when you introduce yourself to someone that doesn't know you, um, what? how do you introduce yourself? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I mean... I think I like challenge anyone when, you know, you've got to have if your elevator pitch of like, well, who are you? What do you do? <laughs> I think all of us are more uh, diverse and broad than maybe our job says, or I'm a cyclist or any of that. So I have struggled with that sometimes of like, how do I define myself? What am I? And it's, it's been a bit of an evolution. I, I will tell you, you know, I didn't start as a cyclist. I didn't, I didn't start riding bikes right. really seriously until about age 38. And I'm also a fellow Midwesterner. Um, I grew up in Chicago area and went okay. to University of Illinois. And 
plus first a cross country runner. And so to answer your question of, you know, how I introduce myself, I've really started to morph it into the word explorer because mm. saying I'm an athlete to me, it doesn't, it's not all encompassing. It's one part of it. I do use my physical body and exploring and moving in the outdoors as, as sort of my template, but really explore is a bigger part of the world in that I'm exploring physically. I'm exploring emotionally. I'm, you know, going on bike expeditions and other kinds of ex expeditions and really also exploring what it means to share those experiences with other people. And that's a big part of what I do. And to answer your question, I, I, about four years ago, after riding Blood Road, riding the Ho Chi Minh Trail, and really being forced to ask myself the personal question that we all should is, what am I doing? Why am I here? What is my purpose? And I wrote a personal mission statement. And that was really important for me to do. And there are two factors to it. And and really the the personal mission statement is is to continually challenge and inspire myself and others to be good and be good are my dad's words that he wrote home from the Vietnam war and his letters. But the two parts of that mission statement are challenging and inspiring myself, but then others. So, mm. so I go do a lot of these big bike expeditions, all these things for me because I love them and I grow and that's where I learn and that's where I explore. But the second part is also the reward of bringing the stories back and sharing them with other people. And Blood Road was a real eye-opener for me to do a film like that, a feature-length film that won an Emmy, and seeing the response of people who are cyclists, not cyclists, um, had connections to the Vietnam War, no connections, seeing the power of telling a story really made me understand that that is part of my purpose, to go do these fun, amazing things, but also to bring the stories home. And so you know, how do I explain my job and what I do? And really it's, it's that I am an explorer, exploring myself, but also bringing those stories back to other people in hopes that they take some bit of that adventure into their own world, whether it's in their backyard or somewhere really exotic or really in, in their home life. Uh, that, that's amazing. Um, and if I do, I, I would encourage anyone, if you haven't written a personal mission statement, you know, we do it for corporations, every business mm -hmm. writes a mission statement and a value statement, do it for yourself. And, you know, actually, I speak on this topic a lot of the process of how I went through coming home, you know, after Blood Road, it was a pretty dark period for me of doing the biggest, most important ride of my life. And then answering the question, like, well, what am I doing? What am I here for? What's my purpose? And I spent a lot of time writing that stuff down. So for anyone listening, if you haven't written down your own personal mission statement, it takes a while, but, but start that process. What's important to you? Why are you here? What legacy do you want to leave? What makes you happy? Those are all questions to kind of start writing down your own, your own. And if anyone listens and wants to share their mission statement or steal mine for a while, that's, that's <laughs> totally fine. But I think it's an important practice as humans to think about our purpose and why we're here. I, yeah, I think that's beautiful. Um, and I love how you have figured out how to do, how to do, how to, that the the importance is inspiring and telling a story and and uh, connecting with people and the way that you have figured out how to do that within your your the gifts that you already have um, the gifts that you've been doing for so long um, in terms of sport and and I think you said something like that's just the avenue you use to to accomplish these things that you've you've learned about yourself later in life um, I do. Uh, I kind of want to get to that in a second, um, and and I apologize if you have repeated yourself in so many different conversations, but uh, um, I want to know a little bit, though, about how you have gotten to to where you are, not just um, just in sport itself. So you, you mentioned that you started as a cross-country runner, and then I know you have done some, a bunch of adventure racing and all this, like... Where in the world did you did you catch that endurance bug? Um, you know, it's kind of funny. It actually it sort of found me in high school. I found cross country running as a sport, and really, um, 
it happened, you know, as a young girl, lots of young girls have, you know, being a teenager or preteen is, is a hard time for anyone where you're really trying to figure out like what you're doing and, and who you are. And, um, you know, I struggled with some, uh, just kind of body issues and thinking I was going to be fat. And my next neighbor's like, Oh, you should join the cross country running team. You'll never get fat and you get a free sweatsuit. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Like, honestly, that was my entry into sport. And, and I will say as a kid, I was always in the backyard, you know, wanting to camp out. Um, we went camping. My mom took us to all the national parks in the summers when we were little. So I always had that explorer bug, but I didn't have an avenue of sport to other than digging around in the dirt as a little kid. Um, and I loved mowing the lawn. Like I loved being outside, but cross country running was really when I found the outlet of sport and it became pretty apparent in running. You know, we did cross country, I did track that I was just better. The longer it was, I liked, you know, seeing what was around the next corner, running through the forests and the woods. And, and so I just sort of gravitated towards the longer things physically, but also emotionally, I like that sort of exploratory feeling. And that just really that just running turned into finding rock climbing, turned into finding paddling, turned into finding cycling. Um, you know, I ski a bunch, cross country ski, backcountry ski. And so while I've done a lot of different sports, there's been the common theme of exploring in the outdoors and using my body. And physically, I think I'm, and mentally, I'm just more adept at the longer distance. And that just became really apparent, you know, even in track, they're like, you should run the 800 meter, or the 200 mile, the two mile relay. And I, I was better, I'd get a faster time, 800 meter split if I ran the two mile myself than if I, it was the same time. If I did 800 <laughs> meter or I did four of them on top of each other, I'd have the same time. So it, the coach quickly was like, oh, you're better at the long stuff. And I just really gravitated towards that. And of course, now that's multi-day expeditions. You know, I did 10 years of adventure racing. So I found endurance pretty quickly and it does feed my body and, and my mind and my soul. Um, so, so that's how I found sport. And really, it's funny, I get asked all the time, when are you going to retire from athletics? And it's such a weird question to me because hopefully, you know, when you find something that fuels you, keeps you healthy, is your community support, it's your mindfulness technique. When you find something like that, why would you ever want to retire from <laughs> yeah. it? And so I, I do really try to encourage people, whether you consider yourself an athlete or not, we have this one body, this one package that we can move through the world. And I have not found a better tool to taking care of it than movement. And, and especially movement in the outdoors. And, and there's science behind nature therapy and that smelling and seeing the colors outside and putting your feet on, on the earth. Those are really scientifically proven happiness pills for your mind. And um, so why wouldn't we all want to be a lifelong athlete? So when I'm going to retire from sport, the answer is never um, <laughs> because I need it. I, I need it for, it is my career. Yes, it's been my chosen job but really it's also just part of my lifestyle so um so you're you're mentioned you're kind of hardwired physically to endurance and uh obviously hardwired mentally too um for that endurance lifestyle but do you, do you find that just the just by definition um being out there for a longer distance and being out there for a longer bit of time and and then kind of how you have to mentally prepare for that and be kind of in that moment, um, it adds to the exploratory aspect or it adds to the, um, uh, like to the exploration, I guess. Um, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a super good point. You know, the longer that you're out doing something, just the more things happen, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you can get lost, you get hungry, you get tired. There's physiological changes happening. You know, after about 20 minutes for most of us, you're like, get out the door. You're like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. After about 20 minutes, there are neurochemicals released that make you feel better and endorphins are happening. And so, yeah, the longer you're out doing something, there's just more time for different experiences, different terrain. You know, you might fall off your bike, 
get back on bike. You might have a river crossing. And so I, I do really like the endurance events because there's just more time for things to happen physically and emotionally. And, and honestly, you, you've got to figure them out, especially in an, in an expedition type thing, you can plan as much as you want, but there's always going to be something unexpected that happens. And even in a couple hour bike ride, you know, if you're getting off the beaten track, you're going somewhere that you haven't been before, um, to me, that's adventure. And it's, it's part of what's really cool about the explosion of gravel cycling is that people are realizing outside your back door, there's all these places you've never been before. And so, you know, for listeners or athletes out there, you don't have to go on a six day expedition to find this kind of um, endurance magic that happens. It, it <laughs> happens in a couple hour ride or a four hour ride on the weekend. And it happens when you go somewhere that you don't know the trail exactly to a T. And it's that kind of exploratory interest. I, I feel like we rise to the occasion, like we don't know what's going to happen. And so you've got to plan with your garment. You've got to plan with your clothing, your food, the route you're going to take. And all that kind of stuff is learning. And it's, it's making you use your mind and your body. It's part of what I really loved about rock climbing. You know, that was kind of my first love as a sport is that you did have to really think, you know, it wasn't just like, go up the wall. You had to like plan a route. And I really like that kind of aspect of cycling too, of, of going exploring in that way, because it does engage your mind and this sense of adventure um, that, that we all need. And I think, you know, the pandemic has been one of the gifts has been people exploring their backyard and finding adventure right outside the back door. Yeah. Do, I know that many of your adventures you've gone with people. I, I, do you prefer to explore with a group of fellow explorers or <laughs> do you prefer to explore on your own or is it a little bit of both? Uh, you know, I, I love both aspects to it. I definitely am sort of on a bit of a vision quest when I'm alone and I'm really thinking about a lot of stuff. I solve a lot of problems out on the bike. But when you have a great teammate with somebody that is compatible physically, mentally, you love spending time with them and, and you get to the finish and, you know, you can hug and celebrate or you can commiserate out on the trail. So having a really good um, adventure teammate is super fun. That said, having having, you know, a friend that you think is going to be a great adventure teammate and you get out there and you find out lousy teammates. Um, that's also, that's not so fun. And, and I've definitely with adventure racing, that was all team sport. You know, the, the way that adventure racing worked is you had to travel in a team of four, a co-ed team of four. And I really learned a lot about sort of the, the pitfalls and the joys of, of traveling long distance with other people. There is a magic to it. And, and there's a bit of a support network where sometimes somebody's up, sometimes somebody's down, you might carry somebody's backpack, they might carry yours. And it's pretty special. One of the best teammate experiences I've had in my life was the last I did or the last two I did rod trail invitationals. I ended up unplanned, but I ended up traveling with my husband. Three years ago was my first one, um, and a big stretch for me. I don't, I don't like winter expeditions. I'm not good <laughs> in the cold, and and it was a big, you know, back to that mission statement of mine of continually challenging myself. And I knew I was scared of winter expeditions, um, which is exactly why I decided to put some time and effort into um, learning how to do winter bike expeditions. And of course I did a trail invitational is, is kind of the grandfather of all of those. So the first year I went, I was a mess, um, did the 350 and, you know, technically won uh, the women's event, but it was a mess. And, and, you know, my big thought was I can do better. I'm going to come back. I'm going to learn, I'm going to hone my skills. And also that man, my husband would really, really love being in Alaska and being this hmm. remote and being on your bike and moving through nature in that way. And so I convinced him to go year number two that I went and he had, um, a really rough time. And, and I had a really rough time too. I was ready. I was poised. I was on the start line and really thinking I could win this thing overall. I had prepared, I'd like, 
trained really hard. I designed my own food that would not, fr- you know, be edible and when it's frozen and, and really step things up with my coach and half an hour into the race, I, I took a wrong turn and it's not necessarily a wrong turn in that you navigate yourself to the checkpoints. And so was going in the right direction to get to the checkpoint, but snow conditions are such a big deal in that event. And I chose a trail that seemed like it was going to be had snow machine traffic and was going to be groomed and was more direct. And it ended up being way longer and a big mistake. And once I was in it, I, I realized, you know, the winning of the race was, was out the door in the first half hour of the event. <laughs> oh man! And so I had the choice to give up, go back, feel sorry for myself. And, you know, night is coming and it's starting to snow and I'm truly out there alone. Um, not near any of the other racers or athletes and realizing I'm going to be walking all night through knee deep, thigh deep snow to get back on a more traveled part of the course. So my goal um, of winning was out the window, (laughs) all that preparation. (laughs) And so I had, you know, felt sorry for myself for a while. I had a pity party, but then it really became survival of like, okay, I did train for this. I have the skill. I have the fitness. I know what I'm doing. I'm not in danger. I'm okay, but I have to keep moving and walked all through the night, got back on course, you know, um, still wasn't even at the first checkpoint and came along a little, a little sort of bundle in the snow, sleeping, it's dark, it's snowing. And I recognized my husband's bike and realized I had, I had caught up to him. And so I drew a little heart in the snow and left him a little piece of candy and went to the first checkpoint. And I waited for him there and, and decided I, I, you know, we travel together because we just came together organically. And I was like, great, let's ride together and rode together the next couple days. And, and then sort of about halfway through, he was really starting to have a hard time. The snow that year was so deep. Um, literally there were times we were walking in waist deep snow where you'd push your bike a foot and then you'd crawl up over to your bike and then you lift and push your bike another foot and crawl up over your bike, literally going a half a mile an hour. And I was so glad we were together. And it was, it was a hard year, one of the hardest snow years ever. And we finished together and both really beaten, but knowing that, yeah, I didn't win the race. It took me almost twice as long as it took the first year I did it. But it was such a win in another way of having a teammate there. I think I would have given up. I think he would have given up in those kind of conditions if we hadn't been alone. And then year number three, we, we were both more prepared, both super fit. And, um, you know, I will go back to year number two, getting through that hard of a year together just made me realize that if we could do that, we could do anything together. So it really solidified our relationship of, of some really hard struggle of knowing that, um, okay, we're a team, we're going to do this. And, and he's my teammate for life. And then year two, three, we came back super fit, super prepared, super excited. And he's, we're both just like, he's like, you go race this thing, you know, it's going to be awesome. And we had elected, this was um, last year. And so it was, you know, still in the midst obviously of a pandemic and we elected to do the race um for a challenge but also safety reasons they they implemented a new category at the iti that was fully self-supported which meant you didn't go into any of the shelters you didn't get food or water from any of the lodges and so you slept outside you know melted your own snow really fully self-supported and so we committed to attempt trying that and you could change partway through, you know, you could sort of step down if you, if you needed to for safety reasons, but we're the only two athletes that pulled off doing, doing the 350 entirely self-supported, which meant melting snow, sleeping outside, digging little snow caves, literally not going into any shelter or building for six days. And we finished, um, right near the top of the field. I was the top female and we're the only two people to execute in the expedition in that manner. And it's, it's the proudest expedition I've done in my life. 
because of the commitment and being in sub-zero temperatures for six days and never going inside, you know, and, and traveling with him as well was amazing. And we ended up kind of just being the same speed, working together with boiling water. And it, it was truly a highlight expedition of my life. And so as we talked about doing hard things with other people, it's pretty magical if you find the right person, but, um, it's hard to find the right person and not every husband and wife couple maybe <laughs> would want to do that together. Well, um, as you're, as you're <laughs> telling me this and, and even before you got to, um, telling the story about y- you going through and, uh, with the ITI with your husband, you're just talking about teammates in general. Um, it made me think about just relationships and you said one of the big parts of your exploration is not just exploration of, of, sports, but also exploration of self. And I think uh, the biggest way you can know more about yourself is through your relationships. And um, I, I kind of see this as um, whether your teammate is ju- not just a te- whether it's a teammate um, helping you through a, 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 an expedition or or uh, you know, or a match, or whatever, whatever you're doing, or that teammate is your your partner. Um, it's all part of this kind of exploration that you're 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 talking about. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of phrase it: we're all part of the human race. We're all here and moving through life. We can't do it alone. And sport or doing hard things is such a great training ground for training resilience and training problem solving and training relationship building because we're all going to have hard challenges off the bike. And so being able to kind of have a practice ground that is chosen hard thing or a Mm -hmm. chosen challenge allows you to develop the skills to deal with losing a loved one, to deal with, you know, your house burning down, to deal with a pandemic together, to deal with losing a job, you know, we can go into nature and, and choose hard things to practice that skill set, which is why I always say to people, race is not a four-letter word, or people are like, oh, I don't like races. I don't, you know, it's such a great training ground for us to develop the life skills um, that, that we all need. And so for anyone who's listening is like, oh, I don't race, um, you should. You should sign up, you should commit, put yourself on a starting line. And whatever speed you go, whatever place you finish is kind of irrelevant. The fact that you are signing up for something hard, like a hundred mile gravel event, maybe you come to Rebecca's private Idaho or a stage race, do something that seems hard and you're going to develop skills that are going to carry with you. You'll carry with you long after you step off the bicycle. That, that is interesting though. I, I do think racing um, can it does get a bad rap sometimes and it's a little bit more of like, uh, you know, it's all about the competition, all about the, yeah. And, and I, I think on paper, maybe you, you could see how a, uh, a really competitive race may not be as exploratory or as adventurous as one might think, but, but your point is no, um, these are important, important events that you need to, uh, seek out basically. It's super important because one, you make a commitment, you put yourself on a start line, you you commit to a goal, you hopefully train for it, you might not be ready for it, you're scared of it, um, you're going to push harder than you would if you were by yourself. And there is a collective energy that is palpable when there are a group of people, whether it's 10 people or or 1500 people, you know, you collect in a group and there's energy buzzing from everyone. And so you pick up on that and truly you're racing yourself. You're practicing for yourself, but having other people there and having the template of a race or a thing that you said you were going to do on a certain day, on a certain time, those are, those are all skill building and, and it's accountability to show up and, and do something hard and yeah, it doesn't matter. One person's going to win, but I guarantee everyone, all 1500 people are going to come away with a win of, of another kind. How do you keep yourself from, um, or, or do, do, do you care if, if you yourself have a mindset of like almost too competitive where it's, where it is about <laughs> winning versus about exploring? 
Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I am a super competitive person. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, and you know, I can really, here's the thing, you know, I've won Leadville 104 times and that's a really good example of a highly competitive race. I was going there to win. Um, and kind of sort of the adventure that I had along the way of that. But, but those years that I did Leadville, um, I learned a lot about myself and, and I was coming from 24 hours solo racing. So a hundred mile race above 10,000 feet, that's really short to me. That was a sprint race. And so I had <laughs> to really change my training. I had to, you know, really changed my focus to a lot more intervals, get a lot more specific about how I was training to see like, Oh, everyone said I'm not fast. Like, could I go fast in a short event? Oh, short one day event. Um, and for a lot of people, Leadville is long. I'm not, I'm not saying it's short, but I was coming from racing 24 hours solo. And so, um, it may seem like, Oh, well, hundred miles then should be easy, but actually the intensity level is so high and the competitive nature of that race is so high that you really are basically doing an all out time trial for hundred miles. If you want to be competitive in that event. And I learned so much from that experience and I really loved it. And, and what it did was allowed me to push my expedition type riding to the next level because I developed this really strong level of fitness and commitment and specific training that just elevated my exploratory riding. And so there is room for all kinds of racing. You know, I, I did some uh, cyclocross racing for a while and, and I kind of hated it because I'm really a slow starter and I'm really <laughs> like not that fast, but any kind of riding is going to, is going to elevate your, um, your fitness and you're going to learn something, whether it's doing a, a crit race or a cyclocross race or doing a multi-day expedition, I think kind of stretching outside what is your norm. That's where, that's where we continue to grow as athletes. And it's, it's why I've, I've sort of altered and adapted and changed so many times. People are like, well, why did you, why don't you just keep doing hundred mile races or why didn't you keep doing 24 hour races? I think an important I know this is scientifically proven and an important part of being motivated is being curious and being like, ah, oh, I wonder if I could do lead bull or, oh, I wonder if I could do a 24 hour race or I wonder if I could do the Iditarod. So curiosity is a really powerful motivator for all of us. And, and that is, it's like different neurochemicals are released when you're curious about something. And you can imagine like a little kid or even your dog who's like, what's that? So if we can maintain throughout our life, that's sort of curious, exploratory nature, it's super motivating. And so that's why I, I do kind of prescribe for myself and everybody else, trying a lot of different things. You know, you may be a cyclist, but try cross country skiing, or you may be a cyclist and you've never done, you know, a hundred miler, or you've never done a sprint race. And so maintaining that kind of curiosity is how we continue to grow grow and evolve as people. Um, if you just, and we know this in training, if you do the same kind of bike ride, you do a, maybe a 30 minute bike ride at such and such power and heart rate. If you do that every day, you just get good at doing that every day. You don't actually grow as an athlete. And even in training, that's why we do some short stuff, some long stuff um, is to actually be a well, well-rounded and better performing human um, across the board. Yeah, and I think you you kind of spoke about just uh, I, early in our conversation. You talked about diversity in in sport or in life, mm -hmm. and how important I, I think that's exactly kind of what you're saying is just how important it is to have that diversity. And um, it, I don't know. One of the things that came to mind as you were saying that is uh, I I tend to like Zwift racing a little bit, and I get a little <laughs> bit of flack for it. But um, my big thing is yes, it. it in the middle of winter, I can I can race with people all around the world, and but but also it gets me ready for big adventures outside when the weather's good. Right. And um, so if if you're using competition or different events or different things to 
to further that in any way, I think it can be used for good, I guess. Um, yeah, no, it's awesome. This, I have this concept that I call the motivational menu. And, and look, we need to put a lot of things on the menu, um, on the buffet, and you need to choose often and choose many things and <laughs> fill your plate. So, you know, there's intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And most people think pro athletes or someone like me, a seasoned athlete, doesn't struggle with motivation. And that's just a lie. Everybody struggles with motivation. And so you need to have this combination. And what works one day might not work another day. Mm. So on that motivational menu, you need a mix of intrinsic motivation stuff on the inside that motivates you like, Oh, I feel good when I ride, you know, it's great for my health. Um, you know, I love exploring and then you need extrinsic motivation, which is like, you're talking about a little bit of healthy competition or the accountability of meeting somebody at a certain time. Like we're going to train on Tuesdays at 8am or a race is an extrinsic motivation. Um, a coach or accountability is extrinsic motivation. So we need a combination of both. Hmm intrinsic extrinsic and you need a lot of things on that motivational menu because what might work for me one day i'm like i'm i'm going out i'm doing this ride i'm really excited about it isn't going to work the next day when it's raining and i'm tired and i'm thinking about work and i don't want to get out of bed and um so we have to be able to select a lot of different things from that menu and competition indoors with riding is awesome and i'll I'll tell everybody right now, I'll use this opportunity is I do, um, I do Zwift rides with my coach, Tim Cusick, um, through base camp, which is our winter training program, Tuesday, Thursday, 8am mountain time for 16 weeks during the winter. We're on week number two. We have a progressive training base training program with base camp. My coach, Tim, it's sponsored by live cycling, but if anyone wants to ride with me on Tuesday, Thursday mornings, <laughs> all winter, we have a great group ride. That's a really cool workout. We all stay together. So, um, you know, you're, you're doing your own, you're, you're doing the same workout, but we're all staying together and it's designed by my coach. It's the same training that I'm doing. So Tuesday, Thursday on Swift, if anyone wants to meet me, it's the base camp live cycling ride at eight mountain time. Um, and yeah, that's a super good motivator. And I'm chatting all the time. I'm giving you tips. I'm telling stories about I did a ride. So maybe you can join me this winter and we can train together. Oh, that's amazing. And yeah, um, a bit of extrinsic, ex, ex, I can't even it's say It's hard it. to say. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but a little bit of motivation on that side of the menu, I guess. Um, <laughs> totally. And I, and I love that. And I think that kind of, um, I think that what, that's what draws me to... Um, or drew me back to cycling when gravel hit was kind of this um, communal aspect of it where, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I, I, I turned 30 years old and I, and I sighed, man, I, I, I need to get more healthy. And it was so much a, like of a, a self thing and going to the gym or running or whatever. I was just doing it all on my own. But when, right. I, when I experienced or when I discovered this community of people that were riding, having fun, pushing each other, going to events. I was like, this is a game changer and I need more of this in my life. It's so cool. And I'm so glad you said that because community is very powerful, whether it's a, digi a digital community on, you know, a platform like Swift or Basecamp that we do this winter, um, or it's an in-person community and it, it can be one person or 1500 people. Um, I, you can tell I'm, I talk a lot of neuroscience because I'm kind of really interested in the power of the mind mm -hmm. right now and, and kind of understanding it. And I had a super cool talk with a neuroscientist. Um, his name is Moran Cerf. And we did a, a talk about um, kind of your brain on exercise, if you know, just to simplify it. And we talked about um, he's done a really cool study as a research on the five most powerful things that make your brain happy. So like the five things that make you happy and there's a bunch of proof behind this. And, and one of them is community that as, as people, we need to gather and collect and have community to be happy. And I'll tell you the other four things because it's, everyone's like, what are the five things that make me happy? <laughs> like I got to know. And it's really cool. So exercise is right there. Check um, sleep, Super important to make your brain happy. Mm -hmm. 
spirituality. So however that looks to you, um, you know, like a purpose, something bigger than yourself, giving back. So volunteering or for a race or, or giving back or being involved with something that's outside of yourself and then community. Um, so those five things. And so when we think about nature and exercise and being outside and racing or, or your bike club, it hits a lot of those things really. Um, or I would argue maybe even five of those things yeah. are all contained in the things that make our brains happy. And it's why I feel so passionate about doing podcasts like this and telling people, go out and ride a bike, go outside because you're truly going to hit and go ride with a friend. You're going to hit community. You're going to hit doing something for someone else, hopefully with a bike group. Um, you're going to, I find spirituality outside in nature. It's going to help you sleep and you're going to be exercising. <laughs> so we're really like, that's your happy pill is, is, you know, people want a one, you know, what's going to make me happy. There it is. It's pretty simple. Go outside and ride your bike with a friend. And, I, yeah, and I, all the things that make your brain happy. I, I love that. And I think sometimes um, the the endeavor of, of sports, especially for adults, um, you know, for kids as they're developing and all this stuff, it's like sports are good to learn all these skills and all this stuff. But as you get older um, and as you're just in the adult age and you're working and you have a family, sometimes sport can seem selfish, and, mm-hmm. um, and it yeah. turns into a selfish endeavor and, and from the outside and may, and maybe I'm putting this on, on, on people and maybe no one really cares, but sometimes I feel like, um, I'm out riding my bike and people that don't get it are wondering why is he spending so much time doing that? Or why is he mm-hmm. wasting his time doing that when maybe there's more pro- productive things to do? But, um, in fact, and I agree with you, I think it's one of the most productive things to do, not just for yourself, but for others. Well, and think about, yeah, I've, I've always had that guilt feeling too. Like, oh, I'm out here. I'm supposed to do a four hour ride. Maybe I can do three and a half and I'll get back sooner and I'll walk the dogs sooner and, you know, or, or get back to that, the computer. And we all know the feeling of, you know, we're sort of grumpy and we get out and maybe we even just do a one hour ride on the trainer and then get back. Um, compare yourself from before and after. And we all know we're a better version of ourselves when we've had blood flow, you know, it, 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 it increases your mood, endorphins are released, you basically get a, your little happy pill. And so when you come back um, to work or your family or your other commitments, you're a better version of yourself, you're more efficient in your work, you're more focused. And, and you, I would argue that you are more productive if you've exercised even just an hour a day. And for me, we talked about that sort of 20 minute window, you know, it takes the body 20 minutes to kind of start releasing those chemicals. So even if you can go out for a 30 minute risk walk with your dogs, um, that is going to give you a dose of that happy pill. And if you can do an hour, great. If you can sweat a little, bring the heart rate up a little bit more, that's even better. I um I had written down as a as a question um before we started talking just general advice and then I have some some notes after that but I feel like everything we've been talking about is just you giving <laughs> these these nuggets of wisdom to to myself and to all, everyone that's listening at how um one one thing I, I I wrote down is and I think we're kind of talking about this a little bit but um you know, like you'll read in like a bicycling magazine or, or, or Velo News or something, like how to maximize your training, you know, like how to get the most out of your training. But mm-hmm. sometimes I wonder how, how do I get the most, just not just physically, but just everything. Like how do I get the most out of even if it's a short time and just like you're like, if it's a half an hour, how do I get the most out of that where it flows into every other aspect of my life? Um and I mean, yeah. you're kind of saying, you know, make sure it's half an hour because that's just like chemically that's w- what we need, you know, mm-hmm. or make sure we're actually doing something. Maybe the point is that you just have to do something once a day, do something to make sure that um, t- you're getting that in your life. Yeah. I mean, 
those are all super good questions. And look, we all want to perform at the highest level. It's really fun to be super fit and fast. And so that is one of those motivators of like, oh, I'm fitter than I was last year. That's really cool. Um, and, you know, and there's basic training, you know, rules that sort of any coach, a co a good coach can give you, or, you know, I mentioned the base camp training program, but, but really, and, and this is what my coach tells all of his athletes, the number one thing is consistency. You have to do a little something almost every day. You know, it doesn't work just like cramming for an exam. If you go, you know, a week without doing anything and then you do 10 hours on, on the <laughs> weekend, one, it doesn't, you don't improve your fitness, but you also don't improve, you know, that happy pill. Like I talk about, you, you don't um, improve your, your, mental well-being as well so consistency a little something every day or almost every day that's 30 minutes to an hour um, but you got to get out and do it the second thing i would say is well is the duration which i just kind of mentioned at least 30 minutes more if you can um you know saving your long days on the weekends and i'm not saying don't go long on the weekends that's where most people have the space and the time in their lifestyle to fit it in and so my weekly during the week workouts are you know one to two hours because that's what we can fit in and the weekend's a little longer so consistency duration and then a little bit of intensity you've got to put a little bit of that sweat um, get the sweat going, get the heart rate going. If you're looking at a, a traditional training schedule, you know, there's a couple days of week of short, high intensity intervals and then longer on the weekend. So a little bit of a variety between going, you know, longer and easier. And, and I find a lot of people, I call this sort of the garbage zone, like that middle zone where it's kind of hard, but it's not that hard. <laughs> if you really want to, you know, kind of bump your fitness a couple interval days a week really are a great way to, to put some of that high intensity work in. And, you know, it's harder, it's getting your heart rate up more and it's really kind of pushing a different physiological system. So consistency, duration, and intensity. If you put, put those into your, into your week, um, and really with consistency being the number one thing, if you, if you show up sporadically here and there, you aren't getting the long-term effect of helping you sleep, um, making your body healthier, making your mind healthier. So I often, a lot of times I'll have on my training schedule, I'm supposed to do an hour and a half and I'm like, shoot, I can't get to it. I can't get to it. I'll just like go do a brisk walk for 30 minutes with my dog um, instead of, you know, something is better than nothing. And, and so for those of you who like might be down on yourself, like, Oh, I didn't do this today. Um, and this is what I had on the schedule. Just do something. Something is better than, than nothing. And it doesn't really work to like, Oh, I'll pile. Like I said, Oh, I missed Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'll do all those workouts combined on Friday <laughs> and, and I'm good. Um, your body doesn't really work that way. So less is more in that if you can do a little something every day, instead of cramming all onto one day, um, that's going to give you the better overall benefit. I, I want to come back to less is more because that's part of your core values, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's right. I, I want to, I'd like to come back to that. But, um, another thing is, as you're talking about this is, um, you know, and find that motivation. And you spoke on that motivation about seeking out um, different ways to explore different events. And I, I do want to ask you about Rebecca's Private Idaho. And it's it's dawning on me, um, talking to you, talking about how of a of a a diverse athlete you are, but but also a kind of a diverse person. And all that you have, you're doing a lot. Um, <laughs> the um, that's yeah, that's <laughs> of course you are, but. Uh, Rebecca's Private Idaho is kind of a very diverse type of race or event. Um, it's a stage. Can you talk on that a little bit about what it is, the three days, what the different days are? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, um, Rebecca's Private Idaho is my gravel event in my hometown of Ketchum, Sun Valley, Idaho. And this year coming up, 2022 is going to be year number 10, wow. which I can't even believe <laughs> that we're going into year number 10. And it's, it's morphed and it's grown over the year. My intention from year number one, and it still is, was to connect people 
ride with purpose and celebrate beautiful places. So people, purpose, place. And we've done that and grown into one of the top cycling events in the world. And I'm really proud of it. I really didn't think when I launched this little event 10 years ago that it would grow into such a powerful experience. It's also uh, the number one fundraiser for the year for my foundation, the Be Good Foundation. And the event has morphed from a one day, we, you know, we have something for everyone really 20 mile, a hundred K. So about 62 miles and then a hundred mile on the one day events. And then we also have the stage race that is three days of riding over four days. Stage one is basically a mountain bike <laughs> stage. You're on single track and um, on your gravel bike. Uh, stage two is an, an uphill time trial and stage three is, is the long hundred miler. And, and we also, during the pandemic, grew the platform. You know, 2020, we still had Rebecca's Private Idaho. We just didn't have it in person. And um, what we did, which is really cool that we've maintained, is we now have three three ways to do RPI. So we have RPI Sun Valley, which is the in-person event that I just told you about. We have RPI Remote, which is a 100K ride that you do on the same day with us. You can do it anywhere in the world. We have a digital platform. We have awards. Um, we have um, prizes. We keep score on that. And that's really cool. And, and people, we did that in 2020, um, the RPI Remote version, and people around the world were taking part, which was really cool. And we also have RPI Base Camp, which is the eight-week training program for anyone doing RPI Sun Valley or RPI Remote that is a community building. Prepare for the event together with my coach, with me. And so all of that launches on January 1st. Um, and I'm pretty excited about it because we've been able to bring a digital community and a training community and an in-person event all wrapped into one really cool people purpose place. Our hashtag is gravel for good because it's part of the Be Good Foundation fundraising. And really it's become, it's a race, but it's a really fun community festival. It's really five days of stuff going on if you if you come here to Idaho. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. It's it's definitely one of my proudest achievements is develop this event because I see what it does for other people. You know, I stand at the finish line and I'm out on course and it's so exciting for me to really win through other people's eyes. And, you know, we've had people get married at the end of <laughs> private Idaho. We've had like all sorts of things happen last year. I was really excited to be one of the first gravel events to implement a non-binary category. We brought in a paracycling category. And so it really, it really is a welcoming space and gravel is a welcoming space for everyone. And I think, like you said, it brought you back to cycling because you felt welcome. Like anyone can come on a fat bike, a mountain bike, a gravel bike, whatever. Um, and it, it's not intimidating to ride on gravel roads. You know, mountain biking is amazing. And I always thought I would put on a mountain bike event, but it became really apparent when I started thinking about it, that, that dirt roads were more accessible for people and more people could gather there than perhaps on a mountain bike trail. So that's, RPI in a nutshell. And wow. yeah, Reg opens January one <laughs> if anyone wants to join me. Um and and I and I don't want um you to feel like all you're doing is giving plugs, but uh, <laughs> I like <laughs> you you talked about how it's um it, it kind of works in tandem with uh the Be Good your Be Good Foundation. And I want to give you a chance to just like tell us a little bit about that um and how how much good it is doing. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And the Be Good Foundation was really born from Blood Road, the ride that we talked about down the Ho Chi Minh Trail where I went to find where my dad died. But really what I found was um, a connection to him and a connection to my purpose, my cycling purpose. And it became, you know, one of the biggest surprises on that ride was how many unexploded ordnance were still left from the Vietnam War. A war that ended 50 years ago is is still killing people. And Laos, where my dad crashed, is was is the most bombed country in the history of our world. And um, many of the bombs that were dropped didn't 
detonate or explode. So there's a ton of unexploded ordnance there. And, and I had no idea. And I really feel my dad wanted to show me that. And so coming back from that trip, I just felt so strongly that my dad's words be good, you know, learning about what's going on in Laos and what happened from the war. I felt so strongly that I needed to use my bike for more. And that's where I launched the Be Good Foundation in his name. And we started, you know, one of our sort of cornerstone projects is help clearing the unexploded ordnance along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And we do that in a number of ways, but the foundation has expanded, you know, from that initial project as well. And the, the mission statement of the Be Good Foundation is to use the bicycle as a catalyst for healing, empowerment, and evolution. And so, yeah, we're clearing bombs in Laos, but I also work with people for bikes. You know, they are working on infrastructure in the U.S. Um, for, for bicycles in more places. We work with World Bicycle Relief. We work with our local trails coalition. And we have, and RPI is one of our big fundraising events. And then this 2022, we're launching a individual scholarship program. And so for individuals who are doing empowering, healing, evolutionary projects on their bikes. And we have our first two scholarship recipients are, um, are taking the winter base camp with me and with my coach Tim. And so they are in a 16 week training program with me as part of our Be Good scholarship recipients. Um, and that's Alyssa Gonzalez and Greg Deal who are becoming really good friends and training partners. So the, the foundation has been amazing. And I know that everyone in the world, you know, we talked about those five things that make you happy. Altruism and giving back, volunteering is one of them. And so people love to be part of something that's bigger than themselves and being able to use the bike as a tool for that is, is really powerful. So I have to thank my dad for, for giving me the push to do something more with my cycling. And, you know, it's not to say like I'm not competitive or I don't value the trophies on my, you know, on my shelf because those are all there as a launch pad for me to have a platform and be the messenger for this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, be good foundation. We're doing a end of year fundraising campaign right now. We have a ton of really fun uh, holiday gifts, including bracelets and jewelry that are actually made from the bombs that are cleared in Laos. Oh, and wow. a really, you know, it's really beautiful. They're engraved with be good. And each bracelet goes back to clear more unexploded ordinance along the Ho Chi Minh trail in Laos. And so thank you for asking about the be good foundation because it's, it's everything I do. Every ride I do has a be good aspect to it now, whether it's helping an individual or helping a larger group of people um, through the bike. Because, um, And really, I chose those words, healing, empowerment, and evolution, because that's what the bike has given me. And it's a nice way to pass that on to more people and get more people either riding or, you know, experiencing gifts and evolution um, by moving in the outdoors. What an amazing accomplishment, I have to say. <laughs> I, I really, I'm really inspired by that, and I know that I'm, I'm not alone there. Um, and there, Thank you. There, there are a lot of things on your list and things that you have done, and um, I just, I, you know, you mentioned this is the end of the year, and um, this will come out before the end of the year. Um, so, one, I encourage people to um, to go to the, the Be Good Foundation's website. Is it from your website or is it to have its own website? Of course it has Either its own way, website. you can yeah. get there through RebeccaRush.com. There's a link there. Yeah. Or um, we're launching a new website, which is really cool. Uh, it's TheBeGoodFoundation.org. Okay. But you can find it all through me, which is pretty easy if yeah. you need to. So, yeah, I, I, I encourage people to become involved that way. Um, but you know, thinking about the end of the year and all the things you're talking about, about motivating oneself to help others, motivating yourself to become better, um, f uh, seeking out um, uh, adventures and exploring more. I really think this is a great motivator for anyone looking for something for next year, looking for a way to better themselves next year. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to kind of wrap up our conversation and thinking of that, of how, how can we motivate each other and motivate ourselves to have a better 2022? Um, you have some brilliant core values, and I'm wondering if you can like 
talk about those core values and and help us just to, you know, kickstart our 2022. Yeah, and really the the core values, they're really, I call them navigational handrails more than anything. And if you know anything about me, you know that I love paper maps and compasses. And I really do feel like we're all navigating our way through this world. And and so my logo and, and all those things have this intentional map uh, graphic to them. And it's actually the map of, of Laos where I found my dad, really feeling like he helped give me direction. And so... For anyone who remembers paper maps or who navigates <laughs> not on a digital device, um, there's there's a technique in adventure racing or any kind of navigation and a, a sort of a navigational term called handrails. And a navigational handrail is something like a river or a ridge line that doesn't move, that, that you can kind of keep as a guiding path to keep you going in the right direction. You might, you might be bumping around in the woods in between that stream and that ridge line, but you've still got those handrails on either side that sort of keep you from getting too far off course. And so after Blood Road, when I developed my own my own mission statement, these navigational handrails were part of it. And so I'll share them. Um, anyone is welcome to them. And then, yeah, we'll just kind of send you off on your you know, winter contemplation before we head into a new year. So it's time to really, really slow down and think about and celebrate what you've achieved for the year, but also think ahead of like, all right. Um, and, and I'm a big proponent proponent of looking back and celebrating what you've done. We're, we're so busy in like, what's next, what's next, what's next. And even as an athlete, I'll win a race and people will be like, what's next? Um, you know, take a minute this winter to celebrate what you've done, but having some navigational handrails for me has been really helpful when there's hard life decisions, or I don't know what to do, or I'm not sure. I go back to these navigational handrails. And the way I developed them was really looking backwards, kind of reverse bucket list. Where are the times in my life I was happy, I was excited, I was celebrating, um, there was a powerful experience. And I looked for patterns in all of those sort of liminal top 20 moments of my life. And the patterns that evolved for me were these navigational handrails. And so they're pretty simple. Um, you can take them in any order, but risk equals reward is the first one. Anytime I step outside my comfort zone, there's always some sort of reward on the other side of it. So that's one of the handrails. Passion equals payoff. I need to be excited, curious, intrigued. My palm's getting a little sweaty about something <laughs> that I'm going to do. And that's passion. And it's a really powerful motivator. So passion equals payoff. Give equals get, which is that altruistic happy pill of doing something for other people, um, whether that's Be Good Foundation, RPI, what, teaching somebody to ride a bike. We all got something out of that, including me. So that's a navigational handrail. Um, and then less equals more. And we all have this tendency, especially in the United States, of filling our plates quite full and doing lots of things um, at you know, 50% or 20% um, instead of doing maybe a couple less things, but doing them really high quality. And, and then ultimately, so those are the handrails, passion equals payoff, give equals get, risk equals reward, less equals more. And ultimately, when I really don't know what to do, I fall back on my dad's words of be good and ask myself, am I being good? Um, and then that helps me really navigate and, and stay on course. And so for we'll wrap it with going back to your first question to me was, who are you? How did you define yourself? And I told you I'm an explorer. So my challenge for anyone listening is to be an explorer, um, go seeking something, whatever it is, and go on and go on an exploration. And I promise you won't be sorry. Amazing. That's brilliant. What a good way to, you're like a professional or something at this, I think. <laughs> that was, that was so good. Um, and the themes that you just laid out were so prevalent throughout this whole conversation. And so of course it was just a perfect way to wrap this up and I cannot was, thank you oh, enough for this <laughs> this time and then this conversation. Thank you, Rebecca, so much. It was so fun, Trevor. I really appreciated it. And yeah, like you got into some good stuff there. So I, 
I can't wait to listen and, and share it with other people. Thank you so much. The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Midpack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling, the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast. Email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Audio editing and original music by myself, Trevor Gibney. And a huge thank you to Rebecca Rush for joining us on this episode. And as always, keep your chain clean, but get your chain dirty. We will see you in the mid-pack.